Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder. Our expectations have become greater and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. Today I'm joined by Amanda Harrington, founder of Inpala and Amanda Harrington London. Driven by skin cancer running in her family, Amanda's mission is to provide an alternative and safe means to tanning. Stretched, overworked and exhausted from balancing mum life combined with flying around the world to spray tan VIPs, contemporaries encouraged Amanda to bring out her own line of products to increase her reach. Meet Amanda Harrington London. Eight years in the making, Amanda discusses the unmentioned length of time that launching a business can take. Finding a reliable manufacturer who believes in you is a long road, says Amanda, and she likens the search to finding a life partner, emphasising the importance of it. She explained that this was just a tiny part of the big switch from a service-based business to a product. Aiming to stand out, Amanda explains how applying a different technique to mainstream brands allowed her to build a desirable brand with results of consumers raving about her products. Slowed down supply chains, forced to shut in parlour and faced with huge challenges, Amanda explains how she turned around the pandemic to work in her favour despite setbacks. I learned a huge amount speaking to Amanda and I hope that you do too. I'd love if you could just kick off by telling me more about you, your business and, and what your mission is. So my name's Amanda Harrington and I am founder of two things. I have Impala, which I've had for about 18 years. And the one I think we're going to talk about is Amanda Harrington London. And that is two years old. That is luxury sort of sunless tan and skincare. I like the hybrid of the two. And the mission for me in this space has always sort of been to provide an alternative and safe means to tanning. Skin skin cancer has is is something in my family and it's and it's really important to me to drive the message home that actual you know UVA UVB and sunbeds are 
something that I'd love you to be careful with and avoid. So coming from my makeup artistry background, I wanted to sort of alter the widely held perception that sunless tan is like this generic cover-up, that it's applied seasonally to hide or alter skin tones. You know, so what I created was um, something that didn't change your skin tone, but elevated it and boosted the, you know, you just look radiant um, and you can use it all year round. Do you think it, I mean, does it literally blow your mind that people still go on sunbeds? Do you find that, are you, are you like, how is this still an industry when we know what we know? I'm so glad you asked me that because my, okay, I have two nightmares that happened to me in sort of when I was younger. One was, you know, sadly my father died of skin cancer. So that was like a big thing. And then, but actually then it took me back to, oh my God, my sister's used to have sunbeds in their bedrooms. We had bulbs in their rooms and they used to be under them for hours and hours and hours. And so the sun, the sun damage is extraordinary. And I was like, they must, please, 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 can someone start the mission to ban? Because someone dies of skin cancer in the US every three seconds. It is something, that, it is one of those, I think we talk about other forms of cancer way ahead of skin cancer for some reason. And, un, you know, I don't know if you know, but the statistics, especially around darker skin tones, is phenomenal in terms of skin cancer, because a darker skin tone will absorb way more UVA and UV, UVB than a lighter skin tone. Did we know that? Yeah, no, I didn't know that. But does that also presumably, and forgive my ignorance, but I would assume that a lot of it was preventable? Completely. I think, I mean, I think it's about 80%, but don't quote me on that. But I feel like it's, it's, external UVAs and UVBs are a real factor in terms of, you know, how to protect yourself from that would help in the cure of skin cancer. Because a lot of it is just ill-education. We're not talking, it's just not talked about. Australia are so far forward in this conversation. Way far, you know, look, look at us as a nation, you know, we we have a season um, and the season is short. So our summer is when we, way we're out. We are all out. We are burning out from the minute that sun hits. Like, you know, we're in the parks. We're just getting... On balconies. <laughs> we are, yeah, we're just, no, you know, no SPS. We're just getting the boost. We've got to get the colour. We've got to get the tanning quick because it's going to go soon. So we have a different relationship with the sun. Do you think part of that is because, particularly with social media and other forms of media, whether that's magazines or television, celebrity, we have been conditioned socially to see being tanned as a kind of mark of healthiness? People say you look slimmer. People say that, um, you know, it, it sort of makes your skin look better. It makes you glow, etc. Do you think there's an element that we've sort of set ourselves up for a beauty standard that then has bypassed what sort of sensible advice and just at any cost will sort of expose ourselves and burn ourselves in the sun just to have this golden tan. 
I think it depends on two things. I think it depends on the age demographic. And I think it depends on the on gender. And also trend. So sort of for me, tanning at the moment, yes, you're right, it's glow. And glow for sure makes you feel and you know look and feel healthier. It's it's very emotive, you know, and and that's another reason why I created a Summer's Tanning brand was because of the instant effect I saw when applying to a client. You know, in 45 minutes, I could change their mood. And that was what was addictive to me. It's like, oh my God, I've actually made your day better. That's so nice. And then I would get all these beautiful comments like, oh, I cannot live, you know, not cannot live, of course I can. But I just adore my colour, I adore my glow, I adore how I look. That's body confidence. So that's a whole other brilliant thing about sunless tanning. But whether it's are you in or are you out, depending on have you got a, a great tan or are you fair skinned, That's what I wanted to do in terms of our tonal conversation within the brand is I do not look at light, medium and dark. I look at the skin tone. So I'm looking at a very, very, very fair skin, almost like a Korean blue or an Irish. You know, they have that super, super, super light skin with like a, you know, and it's slightly blue and it's so beautiful to me, but everyone who has a certain skin type wants to be another skin type. And so I created something called natural rose and then you have natural honey, which is a golden color. It's very Californian looking with, um, you'd have that if you had a very yellow undertone and then I have olive and olive is for that skin that sees the sun and instantly turns brown. So they suit your skin. They sit beautifully on this on your skin and what it's what it's doing is it's not going to go crazy dark at all it's just elevating I'm more interested in just making the skin look better I'm a big fan of yours I'm also a big fan of sunless tan in in general my natural skin color is um like tracing paper I mean I'm like a newborn fish you can literally see my heart beating through my chest so I and I think I went on a sunbed once many moons ago and for about two minutes and basically got third degree burns so I I can you know even when I'm in the sun I just get freckles so I I sort of am in the camp of you know really seeing how much of an impact on one's mood and self-esteem that that can have I'm interested in talking a little bit more about some of the earlier stages in the business. You mentioned you've had you know two businesses, one that's 18 years old and one that's two. I'm curious, can you tell me a bit more about what you were doing before you launched this business two years ago and what what led you to decide to take on another business? Because you also have an 18-month-old daughter, which timeline-wise makes you quite busy in the last 24 months. <laughs> I know. Well, I think the plan was, actually, I don't know what the plan was, to be honest, but I just, I knew we had to do the product line. And it was because in 2010, probably, I'll, I'll go back to what I was doing before all this, but I just remember in 2010, I was at Vogue House and all my dear friends there, all the editors, uh, were just like, oh, for God's sake, hurry up. What are you 
doing? You're running around town, you're going, you know, I was at that time in 2010, I was on flight to New York and back to LA, and back, literally doing towns for people that, you know, just for VIPs, actors, actresses, whatever. I was wrecked. I was exhausted. And they're like, darling, you, you're, you can't do this forever. You have to bring out your own product because it's so wonderful what you do, but you need to get, you need, we need a broader reach on this. So that's, they, they planted the seed. I blame them. But before that, you know, it is that journey of, I was on feature films doing body contouring, body painting, always the body, obsessed with the body, fine art, body, 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 makeup artistry, red carpet, trying so hard to link the face with the body for people. Because what you saw in the 2000s was a lot of mahogany wardrobe tans, which were flat and alcohol, and you could spot them a mile off with the, the, the most beautiful hair and makeup, but nothing talked to each other. So my sort of mission in my head was to create Impala, which is service-based, and it's a team of hair and makeup and manicures and massage. It was so new at the time to have anything done on a mobile basis. You had to go, you know, had to go in salon. That I created glam squads for people, and I knew that the people that I was picking came without ego. So they they all communicated and we talked through every single detail of a look before we started. It was extraordinary. So that's where I sat, you know, and that's how I built my clientele um, and moved it forward. I, you know, then I purely focused on um, makeup and tanning and, and started building from 2011 a man hair into London. It took forever. I didn't launch till... When did it launch? 2019. Why did it take so long? Was it confidence? Was it? I think, you know what? Actually, that's funny. I forgot about that confidence bit. I think it was at first. I was a bit like, oh, my gosh, you know, do I really want to do this? Do I want to take this on? But I kept having signs. I just, I kept having people say, Amanda, come on, do it, do it, do it. And, and then I sat with myself for a long time and thought, if I... If I don't, will I regret it? And the answer was always yes. So those people perhaps weren't kind of like mentors, but they were contemporaries, friends around you, sort of gently pushing you and just constantly reminding you that that's probably what the next step was. Do you think that if you hadn't had that network around you, that you would have you would have actually launched the business? No, I wouldn't. You're, no, I wouldn't because I I could happily or you know I would have happily stayed in my lane of Impala you know have a beautiful cottage business but I could have stayed as you know a singular a singular tanning expert a singular tanning makeup artist and stayed with the team Um, but I decided to it took two years though it took two years for us to get me out of my role and move other team into these certain individuals for me in order to go into lab to start formulating. I mean, I had to create a, well, I didn't have to, I did want to create 18 SKUs and four body brushes and makeup, you know, makeup brushes. 
was a big difference, right, between being a kind of service proposition and, you know, moving the parts and it being a, you know, the business impala that you've talked about. And then actually developing a product which presumably has um, different regulations. You've got to be compliant with packaging laws. You've got to look at ingredients. You've got to be sustainable. You know, aside from what's inside the product, which is obviously something that takes a lot of testing and getting right, because that's kind of the entire business, right? Is your ability to kind of put together what's in in the in the bottle. I'm interested in how that process was for you, because having done something for 18 years you know, were you sat there watching mobile businesses launch and thinking, fuck, like what I've been doing this for over a decade and now people are popping up or were you responding to what the market was doing? Did you think if I don't do this now, it's going to pass me by? What what were the sort of, what was the thought process that actually led you to go, I'm putting a website live, it's happening, I'm all in? Oh gosh, it just brings back so many memories. I don't know whether to laugh or cry, but I... I was looking at the industry, but I'm very much one of those people that I have a tunnel, I tunnel vision on this because I'm very, I'm unapologetic about my vision. Yes. And I like to stay with what I know is true. I always kind of go back to what's the truth, Amanda? What, what, what story are you telling? And yes, there are a hundred different brands that came up in the time I was formulating. But I kept to my list of SKUs and I kept to what I knew I wanted to launch and what I knew made sense in terms of my technique. My technique is different to other brands. So as I mean, we spoke about this at the start, but tanning is is light, medium and dark. So what was what was launching up were, you know, tan drops, it could be light, medium, medium, dark, lots of gradual tans, lots of products, but no one was doing a different technique. No one was looking at it from a makeup artistry point of view. You know, I, I want your, your color, your base to work with your skin tone and look more of a base foundation so you don't wear a lot of makeup. So that's my approach and you, and you apply it with a brush. You apply it as you would your makeup. So I just stayed in, I just kept going with this. No, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Will they get it? Let's see. Let's see if they get my technique. And that's when I was very, very scared when I launched in May 2019. Because I was so worried that they were just going to, it was, you know, obviously just going to flop. I was like, they're not going to understand it. You know, the tanning world is so different to what I'm doing. But they got it. No, I think it's 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 really helpful to share because you know if you're if you're pioneering something and doing something different, inevitably it's going to feel strange because you're sort of rallying against what already exists, and that's you know when people talk about business can be a lonely place, you know that is part of it is that you're sort of there's no parallels at that point, so you are just like blindly trusting your own instinct, and I think when people talk about imposter syndrome or kind of confidence crises and things like that it's usually down to the fact that it's very it's not always about comparing yourself to other people it's actually about having fewer comparisons and walking that by yourself and to be ahead of people or to be doing something that's different 
you know, there's there's equal challenges with that and then with people trying to copy you and then with competition and feeling the need to stay ahead. You know, it's a very different thing like being chased than chasing someone. So I do think it's important that, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a, an interesting thing to share. You'd set up a business before already. In terms of practical steps with this one, was it quite straightforward? Did you, did you sort of know where to register the business, where to get your packaging, where to get the product made, the formula? Like what was the, what were some of the practical things that you did to actually set up this company? It was a completely different setup to just to start um, because, as you quite rightly say, there's a lot more ops and logistics involved in this, you know, in this setup. I it's almost like trying to find your, you know, your life partner when you're looking for a manufacturer because you have to formulate with them, you have to fill with them, you have to do componentry with them. You know, it's a it's a. It's a long process and it requires a lot of work and patience. I think I went, I did some, well, I did some initial rounds with about six manufacturers and it just didn't feel right. And that's why you had that length of 2010 to 2014. I was still trying to find my match. I found my match. Um, and we've been, you know, we've been working together ever since. So that that that's a very important step for anyone starting product is just to make sure that you find the right people who believe in you too. You know, they must believe in what you're trying to create. Because otherwise you're just another, you're just another brand. And you know, they're not going to, they're not going to come on the journey with you. It is a huge journey. It's not going to, you know, as you say, you know, yes, you launch with however many SKUs, but then, yes, we've had a lot of people copy us. So now you have to get ahead of the game again. It's very difficult. So that, you know, you go back in lab and you're constantly improving and creating new things. And, yeah, so it, it has to be right because a bore is to move manufacturer. It's such a big undertaking for ops. Are you literally Googling, like, tan manufacturers yeah they are so hard to find I can't tell you I mean we were even looking in Australia I was looking in Germany I mean you know yes I can do tan okay and and actually to make my beautiful tints because I was hand I was doing them on my own in my kitchen I was making tints for you know my clients for years using colors but I knew, so I knew what I wanted, but to make it in bulk on mass is a whole different scenario. So in the end, I, I found, you know, I found someone who was so knowledgeable and I was like, yeah, you're it. Okay, right, let's start. And, it, and, and from that moment, even someone who had been, she literally produces town, that's it. It took uh, 24 months to make my skin uh, my skin tone or tan that long that long and, and the the skincare and the brushes were well the brushes were eight years the skincare it took me four or five years to to make to my ridiculous standards so particular well you know I think it's, it, it's interesting because on the one side you know you've got to actually launch the damn thing right you've got to actually like get the business going but there's so much uh 
conjecture online about these kind of instant businesses. And I think it's refreshing to hear about, you know, the reality of that time frame. Everyone wants overnight and it's like, that's not really representative. So I work in PR marketing. That's been sort of my, my thing that I've done for a long time. Part of my job is obviously to get uh, recognition for my clients um, in, in media and with celebrities and with talent. I don't think there'd be a better PR win than Vogue saying that you're the Michelangelo of tanning, that you sculpt and transform bodies. I mean, that is, that's a win in anyone's book. How important for you have glowing testimonials, celebrity clients, you know, relationships with media, your spend and sort of PR, marketing, social, like what what's the importance of that being? Because I think for a lot of businesses when they start now, They've got, you know, inevitably a finite spend and people are like, do I go on TikTok? Do I go on Instagram? Do I give free product to journalists? Do I do press trips? Do I do directive ads on Pinterest? or on? It, it's really confusing and it's like, you know, you need quite a lot of money to, to go at it properly. You obviously had certain relationships before, but for someone listening who perhaps is a bit in a bit of a muddle about where to focus, how important to your strategy for, for where you are now, has the kind of celebrity media testimonial piece been? Well, um, let me just break this down. So from a business standpoint, the first two years are about brand awareness. Then for me, you've got to then build the business. So I would say if it's a startup brand you need some cash around the PR piece for sure. If it's a nameless brand, so if it's not sort of found a batch by someone who already has, like me, I guess, relationships in in with, you know, in with press and editors, etc. I feel like that's a different spend. That's a that's a digital spend for me. But, and also it's, you know, what I, what I see with how we've done it is we've done it in, we've done it in stages, basically. So when we first launched, we were hugely into the PR, classic PR piece. So lots of print, um, lots of quotes, lots of, you know, meeting with editors, interviews, gift rounds, but purely in the beauty editor space. Then we moved into Instagram. Then we moved into TikTok. And now we do a lot more focus on paid. So it depends where you are in the timeline. And it also depends where you are selling. Because at first we were selling we had to get we had to drive people to two places, which was Harvey Nichols, where we launched, and our ecom. Then as you grow, you know, you move into space and care, you move into I don't know, Amazon, wherever it is. So you you're in different places, you're on different platforms, but you've still got to drive your business back to you, back to your story. Where is that story? It's on ecom. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's like where does your customer live, right? Like how can you 
put yourself in their eyeline with like the least amount of effort possible, right? Like if they're going into hairdressers and sitting with the glossy monthly magazines and flicking through them, you should be in there. If they're living on social media platforms, it's kind of like, and that's, I guess that's a piece about knowing your own data, right? Knowing your customer, knowing what their behavioral habits are, where they show up, when they spend, you know, that's kind of the beauty of, whether it's Google Analytics or something more integrated um, as, as a kind of interpretation of data, that's how we become more directive with our marketing. And it's fascinating, you know, the CRM piece, which is, you know, customer relations management. It's like, who is your customer? And you have to direct, you have to talk to them. Where, you know, and as you say, where are they going? Where are they sitting? What are they shopping for? And I, what's very clever is... Um, I was talking to another beauty founder about this the other day, actually, because she's like, oh, you know, we're not, we're not, I'm not feeling it now in the beauty space. I said, well, then talk to someone else. Talk to another woman. You know, talk to someone, you know, look at your brand and think, who is my girl? Who is my male? Who, you know, who is my ever? And then what are they doing? Are they, are they shopping with Varley? Are they going to athleisure? Or are they, are they doing food shopping are they going to Dalesford's? But you've got to do your partnerships with other brands. And, and they multi-crossover in different verticals for us is incredible. Incredible the reach you get. And that's really easy to do. You know, you can do that digitally. You can do that on Instagram. And, and you, you know, the retention you get, the cost, the database increase. We did one giveaway. We increased our database by 4,000 the other day. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? You know, so they are there and, they, and they're willing to, to move and they're willing to try. We can't really talk about running a business without talking about COVID. Um, it's hugely impactful on all different types of businesses. The last two years for you, you've obviously had a baby or now a, a mother and a, a working mother, which has its um, its challenges for sure. It's also a business that you've previously traveled a lot for and with your clients are international, you know, being present physically is a big part of what you do. What had the last 18 months been like for you running a business? Well, Impala had to sadly close because obviously it was, it was you know, in home and, and we were, you know, the beauty sector was absolutely shut down. So we didn't, which was for us, it was a, it was a big relief because <laughs> online, everyone, you know, as you know, they said they switched to the phones. They switched to their devices. They were at home. We were all, you know, basically stuck a little bit. Um, and, you know, everyone, I feel, was so supportive of each other. Um, and it was a nice time to, you know, for us to gift you know, give the NHS, say thanks. That was wonderful. We could do a lot of that. Um, a big passion for me is is working with Glassdraw, which is a homeless charity. We've done it for years. And so we could do proceeds to them. So I quite liked that element of it, of just giving back. Um, and But it was so busy. We had to, you know, we had to pivot because of supply chains. So it was... It was so interesting because everyone was engaged community-wise. There was a lot 
a lot more to be done in the digital space. So on, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all the places where people chat, TikTok, you know, we were very, we were very forward facing on those, you know, on those platforms. Um, and our e-com, you know, was, was super buoyant. So it, you know, it was good, but the back end, the ops end was very, very difficult and challenging. You know, trying to componentry was a no-no. We had to move manufacturers for periods of time to in order to get filled, to get stocked, because we sold out. We completely sold out in the in the in the summer months because no one was going away. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's like there is such a thing as kind of growing and scaling too fast and sometimes you get attached you know it has happened in obvious industries like remote fitness athleisure anything to do with you know a lot of d2c brands but also interiors and things like that there's you've really got to be ready for that surge and that growth because it can happen quite quickly and then you know you can't necessarily facilitate it unless you've got the infrastructure and it all becomes all becomes quite overwhelming quite quickly but you know with that in mind what are some of the investments that you've made in the business in the last two years? And, and if relevant, where have you wasted money? We are in a tight spot now because, as you quite rightly say, were we prepared for COVID? No. Was anyone? No. Um, and what happened is that the supply chains, and everyone's experiencing this, is that it's your lead times. So the lead times on componentry used to be 8, 12 weeks. It's now 18 weeks. So your your cash flow, so what we've done, what we've had to do, and it's not an it's not a mistake and it's something that we wish we hadn't done, but it it, it sort of is now because I'm experiencing a cash flow deficit now because I've had to order so much stock ahead of this year does that make sense so that's where we've we've lost a lot of the cash flow um and also you know retail retail wasn't open so we've we've spent so much time and energy on our dot com that now we've got to i've got to navigate the team to remember that we have the retail platforms and to pay pay them as equal attention so it's those two things. And also getting out into store. You know, we're so used to sort of hiding behind the computers. It's like, no, guys, we've got to go out now. Yeah. I remember working with a business very early on in my career and they were, it was a footwear company and they had the option to be listed on ASOS. And I remember way back when just thinking, well, that's a no brainer. And they said, well, we just can't facilitate it because we physically cannot meet the payment terms based on what we have to order and when we get paid and I it's, it wasn't something at the time that I had come into contact with it was early in my career I don't have a product I run a service business so my costing structure is very different and I just thought god that's really interesting that you know they sort of have this amazing opportunity and and you know that's obviously why one of the reasons people raise money to cover a lot of those gaps and, and kind of lubricate that cash flow but I think it's um it's it's definitely something that isn't really talked about as much in terms of like you know growth is is great but it's sort of responsible growth and and realistic growth and um there does have to be control in that process or it sort of all goes to shit pretty quickly 
Yeah, it does. And, you know, it's you've got to make difficult decisions based around that um, and intelligent decisions, you know, to keep the brand agile and, and able to grow at the same time. And you are, you know, you know, our, we have incredible opportunities that are put to us. And but you have to be realistic about what you can facilitate. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given about running a business? I think it goes back to to what I, I, I was always told to be unapologetic. When I had my confidence crisis, it was be unapologetic about your vision. And, all, and I always speak from the heart. I really do. Yeah, it's good advice. Do you, can you, have you found time to take a breather and look at what you've achieved? This sounds crazy, but spiritually, yes. So I do a lot of gratitude work around it because I I am very removed from an ego standpoint, which is wonderful for me. Um, and I've never been any different. And for business, you know, business for me is um, it, it's there's a lot. Okay, two things. There's a lot of alpha female, uh, which so they would be you know back end would be you know wonderful and sweet and loving and then actually their playing field for alpha is is normally in business and that's dangerous I see it a lot in the beauty industry so what I try and do is leave the ego at the door come into my little you know beautiful space of of business and we have a really challenging but lovely calm time and I like to see the team grow you know, I like to work with the same people. I've had the same, I've had a lot of amazing, amazing humans in my business, you know, sphere for years. You know, it's wonderful that they don't, they don't want to pass on, you know, they don't want to go on to someone else. So I like to, I like to, you know, see them on their journey. And um, then I, you know, every day I, <laughs> oddly, sounds crazy, I light an incense and I, I thank the universe for, you know, this whole experience. You know, it's not I am a mother, I am, you know, I have an amazing business. I experience being a mother and I experience having a business. But they're not connected. So they're different. So I don't I don't ever look at myself on content. I don't really read very much press. I just keep going and um and just know that it's something I enjoy. Yeah, I mean I think it's really sound advice because there's so much conjecture now with winning awards and posting stuff on LinkedIn and Instagram and you know a lot of people can understand that some awards are do you know someone on the committee or did you pay to have your logo or did you pay a table at the dinner and others you know that they have a place but someone being in a Forbes 30 under 30 or doesn't make your position less valuable and I think as individuals being disciplined about how much we let what other people are doing affect us. You know, it's it's unfortunate that the the quote comes from Mean Girls because it kind of undermines it. But you know that scene where they're like being um, like calling me fat doesn't make you any thinner. Calling me stupid doesn't make you any more intelligent. Like telling me my business is shit doesn't make yours better. Like is that kind of age old um, comparative? And I think particularly as women, we're sort of condition to pit ourselves against one another but the reality is is that you know to your point being grounded in what you're doing and being present in the journey that you're having and your own experiences is actually you know a sort of 
refreshing uh, take on what has become a very clumsy dialogue around mental health and manifesting and, and all these other words that perhaps are now a bit devolved from the reality of what we're being told to do, which is just reconnect to what it is that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Be grateful for the things you have, focus on the things that you want um, and, and, and get your head down and kind of work on them, which is essentially the basis of that messaging. It's just become this sort of huge marketing machine now with all these buzzwords that I think is quite confusing for a lot of people it's really confusing and how I can break it down to you for you know you know because I've been working on it from on this for me for a long time and and all I can say is it's not about the self it's about us collective you know that's why I you know I yes I have gratitude but I have gratitude for you know the business my family who are in the business, what we're doing, what we're, you know, what we're creating. It's not, it's not me. Yes, my name's on the tin, but it's we, you know, and, and, you know, as I said to you, stay in your lane. Do not worry about what everyone else is doing. You don't have the time. You have one energy source and it's like, what do you choose to do? You know, where do you put your energy? If you put your energy and it's, and it's a grateful, heartfelt energy, into something you're doing at that moment in time, it can only be beautiful and true. And that's why I don't, I really don't. Honestly, Emily, I don't look at, I don't look back at myself on, uh, you know, content. I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't have time. This is just, you know, I'm speaking to you now and we have a beautiful conversation and then we go on to something else. You've managed to maintain, grow and succeed in two businesses over a long period of time, which in itself is a very challenging thing to do. You know, staying power is, is, a, is a difficult thing. How do you make sure that you keep learning? Do you read? Do you travel? Do you listen to podcasts? What are your go-tos in terms of making sure that you're continuing to learn? I do. I, mean, I, I read. Uh, I don't watch TV. So I read, um, I read lots of books. And I re- and I listen to lots of podcasts, exactly as you say. How do you define success? Ooh, um, if you are happy with what you've created in your lifetime, I think that's what I would say. It's a good answer. So the podcast is called the Busyness Podcast. There's now a standard of being busy. We've all got to be exploring the world having more children having multiple businesses having a side hustle having a perfect tablescape for Christmas you know having the perfect gym selfie it's it's just it's endless and it's relentless and it can be really challenging in an environment where the expectation now is to do more it's a very maximalist environment with that in mind if you had an extra hour in the day what would you use it for being with my baby (laughs) Always, just being with her. I learn more off her than I learn off myself. <laughs> just watching her and being present with her, that's what I would love. And I'd love another 10 hours of the day to do that. Because you just have, you know, you, with young little souls, they they don't have all these high expectations of themselves. They, they're they just learning. They're, they're looking around. And to see life through their eyes is the most calming thing I have ever experienced. And I'm so lucky that I can see that right now. 
tell me what's next for you. What can we expect to see next year from, from you and from the business? Um, lots of new fabulous products. Um, we're going to do a, another sort of tan, sunless tan focused year in terms of NPD, so new product development and tools as well, because you know I love a brush of some sort. So there's going to be something really cool in that in that sector as well. Um, more trips, more. I, I just want to go back and start being with people again, don't you? Just just be more connected again and travel. Um, and see, you know, go to go to Ireland where they flip and love the tan. Go to LA, do the Oscars. You know, get back to that whole exciting life. Um, and yeah, we're just going to do a lot more of a US focus as well. Well, I I wish you all the best with it. I have absolutely no doubt that as the world begins to open up, that that will all be written for you and be a very exciting part of your your journey next year will you come and have a town with me yes <laughs> yeah i will come and have a town with you i literally couldn't think of anything i'd want to do more well i think you'd like to do that over christmas when you come up here please can that you make me look like a victoria's secret model is that 100 uh, uh, we'll do that in half an hour that i mean i'm absolutely thrilled um <laughs> I'm really grateful for you taking the time. You have an extraordinary business. I mean, the, my team was so excited when I said I was speaking to you. I know media love you. Celebrities love you. You're a mum. You're a business owner. You're so calm and kind and generous. And I think that the things that you've shared today will be so impactful for people at all different stages of their journey. So I'm really grateful that you took the time and, and thank you very much. I have tears in my eyes. Thank you so, so much. That is very, very kind of you.